The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 50. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Fight or Flight. It's the second episode of the series. Joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, Father Corey is away uh, right now, and so he's not able to join us. So it's just going to be me and Jimmy today. So, Father Corey, we miss you. We look forward to having you back joining us. Come back soon. Come back. <laughs> we do have some feedback uh, that uh, from you, our listeners, that we'll share at the end of the show, and we'll yeah. have some discussion of it. And uh, so it's some really good feedback that uh, covers the end of the Star Trek Discovery season. Mm-hmm. So it should be it should be some interesting feedback for you. And remember, folks, to like the Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media and to retweet our episodes on Twitter where we're at SQPN. Uh, leave us comments so we can share them as feedback, but also uh, you're sharing them, liking them, retweeting them spreads the news about the show and grows our audience. And that's uh, one of the ways we know that we should keep doing this is that we know that we see more and more people becoming part of our audience and wanting to hear what we have to say. Let's talk about this episode. This is, it's called Fight or Flight. It is the second episode of the first season of Enterprise. After Broken it, Bow. That's right. It aired in October of 2001. So uh, we're talking, you know, 18 years ago as we record this. Just about. And just about. Uh, the set, the time frame it takes place. They they're still using the the old calendar, uh, the old Earth calendar. So Archer at one point gives a log in uses May six twenty one fifty one. Ten years before the founding of the Federation. That's right. So uh, where do we we begin? So well, let me talk about the the themes that I've picked out of this episode, mm-hmm. just to sort of set the stage. The main theme seems to be... It's right there in the title, Fight or Flight. What are you going to do? Are you going to fight or are you going to fly? I suppose... Well, I, in, in fact, I'd go another level, which mm-hmm. is this It's this difference between humans and Vulcans. Mm-hmm. This conflict that we see that is really set is part of the, the, the fundamental idea of this series of enterprises. It predates the Federations before the Earth and Vulcan are, are buddy-buddy. We're still a little bit in conflict. They're the older brother keeping us down. And, and this is this statement that gets made by T'Pol in this, which is Vulcans don't let their decisions be dictated by curiosity while humans do. And I'm thinking... That is a really dumb thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> and we'll get into you know some of the examples of that as, as we go along. But a curiosity is not illogical, and it is not um, an emotion. What would have saved it? And this is there's a dialogue fix for this. Just insert the word "mere" in front of curiosity. Vulcans right. don't let their decisions be driven by mere curiosity, and suddenly all of her counter objections to what they're doing become right. more intelligible. It's like, That's well, you true. know, you could be this could be construed as violating someone's privacy, you know, going onto their ship without permission. That could be trespassing. Right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and and the other thing that kind of comes up is how T'Pol is sort of a scold throughout this episode. She's like that older brother or sister who's always pointing out that you're not playing the game right when you are perfectly happy playing the game the way you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, we're humans, so we're not going to do things exactly the way you would to Paul. So you know, settle down. <laughs> yeah, I, I had really mixed emotions about this. There's 
and this is far from i mean i there i don't actively loathe this episode the way i do some things but i just felt so disappointed by this episode i wanted to give it maximum allowance for the fact it's a first season episode and first season episodes are often shaky in any series um mm-hmm. and uh also because they're just building a writing staff and this these characters are not established we've only had the pilot before this Um, and so it's understandable that a show can be shaky, uh, right out of the gate. If you're planning on an ongoing series, as opposed to a mini series where you know, the shape of the story you're telling in detail before you start. Mm -hmm. Um, but if it's an open-ended series, early first seasons are hard and second episodes are hard. Um, you don't have the same kind of initiating event that you do in a pilot, and so there's a lot of there's a kind of a steep learning curve the show's creators are, are confronted with in this episode. Also, I I want to give it full allowance for the fact that it is early days, and so we're not where the characters will eventually get to. They're not right. all fully formed yet. Uh, for in modern television televisory storytelling, you know you're going to have character development over time. In the old days, you didn't. In the old days, just plop, here are our characters and here's what happens with them. But now we have arcs that stretch over series. And so you don't want the characters to be where they're all going to end up emotionally and personally and so forth. So this episode is like waving its hands and shouting at the top of its voice, early days, early days, early days. <laughs> and and I, and so I want to I want. I appreciate that about it. I agree. You don't want to start people where they're going to end up. My problem with this episode, so we have the fight or flight theme, which is the basic, do we fly away from this ship that we found or do we come back and fight? So on the crew level of the story, there's that dynamic playing out. But even more personally, it's playing out for Hoshi. Yes. She, she's in over her head. She has to decide, am I going to stay on this job as a translator on this starship and fight metaphorically, or am I going to fly back to academia where I feel safe and unchallenged? And so, so that's fine, but I think this episode is really written in a ham-fisted, paint-by-numbers way. Yeah. Every character in this story has a single theme that it's like every member of this choir sings exactly one note and they sing it over and over and over again. Uh, Trip wants to wants to have encounters with alien stuff. And that's his whole thing. This episode, nothing else. Um, Hoshi is scared. And that's her thing, and she's sticking to it. Malcolm wants to use more force than is necessary, and that's his thing. T'Pol is oppositional to whatever Captain Archer wants to do, and that's her thing. (laughs) Fox is bemused by humans, and that's his one thing. Archer is enthusiastic, and that's his one thing. And Porthos wants cheddar, and that's his one thing. (laughs) I'm with Porthos. I want cheddar. (laughs) Well, the one who doesn't fit in any of that really, who doesn't get really anything is um, the helmsman. Malcolm. Yeah. Well, uh, Malcolm. No, not, Mal- oh, oh. not Malcolm. Not mm-hmm. Malcolm. Um, Malcolm's the one who wants to shoot everything. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Mayweather. Mayweather. Yes. Yeah. Uh, their names are too close together. Yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't really get much of anything. He never gets much this. of anything. He's an underdeveloped right. character. Right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Is it, 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 He doesn't. And you're right. Everything is... Everybody's pretty much one note. They're there. I mean, to Paul's barely concealed contempt and even hostility and arrogance. Is a bit, yeah, it's a bit wearying after a while. I it mean, is. It's like it wears on you. Suck it up and go with the program. You signed on to this starship. Don't buck every decision at every turn. <laughs> He's like the dark cloud floating around the yeah. corners of the ship. Yeah. And, 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 and as a result of uh, partly as a result of the flat characterization in this episode nothing is surprising everything in this episode is paint by numbers you know exactly what's going to happen before it does they set up everything in an obvious way before they pay it off the only moment in the whole thing that is really surprising is when they turn around and they're and the silence is hanging from the ceiling 
<laughs> I mean, every, every, everything else, uh, that's the only surprise in the whole episode. Everything else they telegraph way in advance. Here's exactly right. what's going to happen. You, you know, as soon as they're testing the torpedoes and they don't work, that that's going to be an important plot point later. Like they should just hang a sign on the screen. Important plot point for later. The torpedo will need to be working better than it is now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sort of thing. Yeah. So they've been out there for two weeks at Warp 5 and haven't seen anything yet, and they're impatient. And Except like, they got a slug, which also is a cipher for Hoshi, because now it's in its not preferred environment, and it's dying, right. and Hoshi is so sad about it, and they're going to let it go, even though it's in an environment that's not quite what you're used to, you'll adapt, and it'll be great, and that's a symbol of me. Right. Uh, that was that was a very clear, yes, the slug who is uh, Hoshi. And so she's conflicted. On one hand, she's the best exolinguist in Starfleet, so she should be out there on the flagship, you know, heading out into exploration. On the other hand, she's frightened of deep space. Yeah. And so how could she do what she's supposed to do and, if and, she stays back on Earth? And, and actually, I like that as a character conflict. And I like the fact she is scared of space. A lot of people would be. And, right. But people may have skills that, you know, call for them to rise to a certain situation that they're not comfortable with. I like the fact that she's got little quirks. She's not comfortable in space. She's not used to the stars flying by her cabin in this one direction because her training missions had them flying by in a different direction. That's actually clever, you know, to think yeah. about, okay, how would they be flying by depending on which side of the ship you're in? That's, right. you know, that was fine. I liked that. I like that Archer is hearing a squeak under the floorboards. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and is annoyed by it. Um, because it's a brand new ship. Yeah. yeah. And so all, a lot of these little details I think are just fine. It's the execution on the character level and the plot level that I have a problem with in this episode. Having said right. that, as as negative as I am on this episode, it's way better than the second episode of Next Gen. That was the yes. Naked Now. Oh my! You know, that and was it got even, it, it got it was equally bad in the third episode, Code of Honor. Oh. Um, so you know, they, I think what it, I think they have learned some lessons since Next Gen. Um, it's not as bad as first season Next Gen, but it's also not as ambitious. It's right. very paint by numbers. And it's not as good as first season DS9, uh, frankly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I, I liked Archer's line to Hoshi when she says she she's a bit claustrophobic, and he says, oh, but you took a job in deep space? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that doesn't seem to make some sense. Uh, also, the, the, the looking for the squeak in the floor of his of his office, I'm like, everybody can identify with the smoke detector that beeps at random times in the middle of the night, and you can never mm -hmm. tell which one is beeping. <laughs> My solution is take the battery out. One at a time. Mm -hmm. Take the battery out, out of each one one at a time. It yeah, takes and, some time. And leave them out. Yeah. Uh, I, my solution was to buy the Nest ones so that it tells me on an app on my phone which one is dying. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, a more, it's a more expensive solution, that's for sure. So um, we have this line. We don't select our destinations, but what, what piques our interest uh, from T'Pol. Uh, and she says one out of every 43,000 planets supports life. She has her explanation for why they haven't run into um an intelligent species was it was it intelligent life she said or just life intelligent life she yeah. says yes okay one out of every forty three thousand planets support intelligent life uh it, what do you think of that from the from a family paradox point of view it's possible um it's hard to hard to know but you know that's not unreasonable given you know the parameters of the drake equation which we will feature in an upcoming episode of jimmy aiken's mysterious world <laughs> I I just lined that one up for you, Jimmy. So yep. You hit that one out of the park. Good. Uh, we have this uh, interesting uh, uh, Dr. Phlox uh, encounter between Phlox and Trip at dinner, where he talks about he um, first he says that his people don't speak during meals, which can be tedious. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he which which sounds a lot like a monastery, actually, where they don't speak during meals. Sounds like my family. Everyone sits down and we're done in five minutes. <laughs> so, and then uh he he delights in the variety of food and talks about how unpredictable uh human beings are in, yeah uh, this this is a fun scene i like the yep. little character quirks that Flox has and his interesting you know observations of stuff uh he he's eating a potato and it's like a little russet little tiny russet potato or something and he's already yep. bitten out of it and he's savoring the taste is like which is interesting because potatoes are basically a vehicle for salt and butter. Right. Um, but uh, but he then gives it to Trip and say, try, try the potatoes. They're excellent. And he's already taken a <laughs> bite out of this thing. 
And you feel for Trip. It's like this thing has alien spit on it now. <laughs> on the other hand, he's a doctor, so he should know if this is going to be okay for me. And I don't want to be rude and violate his cultural custom. He's trying to be nice to me here. So Trip sucks it up and eats it, so to speak. Yeah. And it's resequenced protein like most of the food. Yeah, uh, and I'm and that was a little snag for me. I was like, uh, no, potatoes are primarily carbohydrate; they're not protein. <laughs> right, right. Um, but but it's a neat scene where Flox is observing. It's like you see those two crewmen over there. I think they're preparing to mate. Do you think they'd let me watch? <laughs> and and it's these two people who are just kind of staring off into space separately. Yeah. <laughs> they're not actually interacting. <laughs> And then he says, uh, the other one was, Do you, have you smelled Ensign Socorro after she exercises? She gives us a fragrance not unlike the adrenal gland of a Nausicaan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next, yeah, tell tell a, a woman that you meet sometime how, that she gives off a smell not unlike the adrenal gland of a Nausicaan. When she's been exercising. Yes. <laughs> so uh, they they've come across this uh, immobile ship that's just sitting there and they decide to, they're all excited we, we want to talk to them and mm-hmm. uh to paul's like no let's just move on maybe they don't want to talk to anybody and she's doing her wet blanket thing uh so they hail it, it. it it's interesting she does come up at every juncture with something reasonable in terms of why you might not want to do this it, right you know it's like they're a totally alien culture i mean would you want people boarding the enterprise without permission Right. If you're if you're not responding, would you just want yeah. people to well they're not responding, they well, might maybe they need our help and come on board. Not everyone answers a knock at the door at the door. It's like yep, I know. <laughs> I'm certainly not going to do so at certain times of night. Exactly, exactly. And maybe they're sleeping. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe some species they fly Hibernate. their spaceships and they or they, they don't have round the clock uh shifts like say humans do. They Stop the ship and go to sleep altogether mm-hmm. <laughs> for for the night, uh, and then they'll start the ship up again in the morning. Who knows? So they do hail it, and uh, they they have the translation matrix that uh, they use. And uh, Archer says, "We come from planet Earth," where which is oh. essentially saying we come from planet dirt. Yeah, and then here's <laughs> a helpful quasar uh, map to let you know where our home planet is. I'm going. Do not tell the aliens where our home planet is, please. exactly you don't know anything about them that is not that information needs to stay proprietary until we know somebody i do like though that this is the first time arthur archer is giving a a a communique to an alien race and he's and so we see trip in the background mouth the word earth right and is oh and we're from the planet earth and so it's like he's still working out what information needs to be given right there are you get the idea there are no first contact protocols in place yet they're they're Which, still making uh, it up as they go be. along yeah well, we have we have first contact protocols now they were developed like in the 1960s that's true that's true uh which maybe they've been used already so mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing is is are is archer's actions here are they are they in this in this context where he's they they see that the ship has perhaps been attacked um that no one's responding is is but there are right? life signs right and there are life signs is to paul right are his actions precipitous here? I I think, um, I mean, this is just from a human frame of reference, but they have evidence that this ship has been damaged. They have evidence of life signs and of people not communicating. That suggests distress because the natural evolutionary response of any life form, if you're hurt and someone is trying to contact you who is not the person who hurt you is see, turn to them for help. Right. And if they're not turning to us for help, that suggests they're in significant distress. And so it would be natural from a human point of view to say, let's go over there, see what we can find out and see if we can be of assistance. But if in the context of these might be aliens who don't operate on the same well, that's why that's why I framed it in terms of evolution. Evolution yeah. is going to drive any creature that's been attacked to seek help from any ally it can. And if it's not yeah. seeking help when when you've made it aware or tried to make it aware, that suggests something is wrong here. It's not able for one reason or another to ask for help and but would still welcome it because there if are, you're if you're in yeah. trouble, evolution is going to drive you to accept help from whatever source you can get it from. I, I, I hesitate to disagree with you only in that, and I hesitate because I know you're probably right, but I hesitate to disagree only in that there are plenty of examples of creatures where when they're hurt, They'll snap. they, they yeah. snap, they retreat, they don't want help, uh, but usually that's out of a lack of understanding Correct. of, of us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I get that. 
An, an intelligent life form that can build a spaceship is clearly a cooperative species that has um, social consciousness and thus is used to accepting help from others uh, other than right. themselves. They're not self-reliant loners like a leopard or something. Right. See, this is why I hesitate to disagree, but I'm glad we brought it up because. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we have this scene of Archer with his personal log in his quarters with Porthos and the aforementioned Cheddar. Uh, I I like Porthos Mm -hmm. as a element of the show, as a character, if you will, uh, because it's a nice humanizing feature. Mm -hmm. It really kind of brings Archer down to earth. He could he could be sort of, especially at this point, sort of all bluster and and yeah. you know standing forth uh, but it really brings him down a notch to a more human level he's very not kirk he's very relaxed and get along and this is apparently true of uh scott bacula who plays him he was yeah. everyone behind the scenes says he was just a delight to work with he would like he was totally unassuming. He was so helpful to everyone behind the scenes. He would even help like the crew whose job it was to load stuff up yeah. for location shoots. I mean, he'd be lugging boxes with the crew. <laughs> and um, and when it's not even his job, he's just doing it to be helpful. And I like in this episode, it's like when Hoshi wants to change your quarters with someone and says, I've already arranged someone I can switch with. He's like, OK, yeah, great. And then later on, he says, so how did it go with your quarters? Was there any problem? You know, right. Very relaxed about it. Even in the corridor where Trip is trying to make a case for going along to the other ship, it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like this very rigid military chain of command. They're friends, yeah. and yeah. it's more it is a more relaxed atmosphere. They yes, clearly they have military weapons, and clearly there's a hierarchy on board the ship. But it's much more relaxed than than a rigid chain of command. And he's you know he's he does tell him, look, this is what I this is what you're going to do. You're going to stay here with your engines because that's what I need you to do. Yeah. But it's it's not like that's an order, sir, Mister. You know, sort of thing. Yeah. I also found it was interesting, and I don't know if I mentioned this in the pilot, but I found it interesting that because uh, who the first officer on the ship is initially, it's Trip. Now they yeah. move to Paul into that position, but it, it, in the original series, we had the captain, the first officer who doubled as science officer, and the doctor as main characters. Here, it's the captain, the first officer slash science officer, and the engineer. And it makes sense for the engineer to have a more prominent role in this because the technology on board Enterprise is revolutionary. Yeah. Um, it, this is the first Warp 5 ship, and so it makes sense for that role to have additional prominence given the fact they're dealing with breakthrough spaceflight. I forget now, it's been a while since we talked about our overview of the series, but the idea of the captain, the Vulcan's first officer, science officer, and the other part of the, the triumvirate who is very Southern in culture to yeah. Count, oh, yeah. as, as a counter to the very stiff Vulcan. Uh, I, I, it's very interesting that they've brought that element up in this one again. I just thought that was What a coincidence. <laughs> who would have thought that? <laughs> so they because this is the enterprise and not uh the original series or later we don't beam over to this alien ship we get in we get in suits and we fly over in a shuttle and, mm-hmm. and i i like that i like the sequence i like them trying to get in uh, uh reed wants to blast through the hatch and yeah it's like there's no obvious controls here so i would just want to blow stuff up and this his sound in his one note again right. and archer is oh actually here's a hidden control beep <laughs> yeah i'm not sure how why he thought those were controls but okay uh of course uh hoshi has to be the one to find the dead bodies i mean that's so she could scream like a as she says, her line is like a 12-year-old, sort of emphasizing mm-hmm. her own la- feelings of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Thing. Well, nobody else screamed, she says. Uh, well, they're hardened, you know, experienced, you know, Malcolm they're is not, a They're soldier. not linguists from academia. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and to, to Paul advises them, leave the ship. You know, they're, they're, they're dead. We can't save them now. Yes, so somebody has come along. Uh, attack the ship, taking the the people who the crew of it, hook them up to some sort of machine that is harvesting their body parts, their 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 precious bodily fluids, right? And and has left, and presumably is coming back for it uh, later. Um, 
Which sure doesn't why. make a lot of sense. It I mean, doesn't. why don't you take it with? Why don't you? Why don't you just tow this ship with you to wherever you need? And why, why does it take, take so bodies? long? Yeah, take the bodies. <laughs> and why doesn't it take? Why does it take so long to extract this stuff? We later learn it's called triglobulin, and it's used for various purposes, including as an aphrodisiac by some species. And it's apparently very similar to human lymphatic fluid, so lymph. Yeah. Um. But uh, we don't know that at this point. We just know there's a scary machine pumping green blood out of the silence hanging from the ceiling. Right. And so T'Pol says we should we should leave the ship, you know. Yeah. And, and your crew's in danger. And so that's why you should leave. And in because... fact, I think T'Pol is right. Mm-hmm. I think they should leave it. What's done is done. Who, who knows who did it, what they're capable of, what their technology is. And in fact, they very almost nearly get harvested, killed. Be- because because of this. they go back. Yeah. yeah. It's only by sheer chance that they actually survive this encounter. Yeah. And uh, I think that, I mean, probably what I would have tried to find a way to do in this situation, if it were real, would be something that's kind of in the middle. Uh, because they, the, on Enterprise, they don't have a properly functioning weapon system yet. And, but on the other hand, we found these people and, you know, learning about them and their culture. I mean, let's try a download before we leave. Right. And maybe we can send a message to their planet if we can find it and say, hey, we found your guys. We wanted you to know about this. Um, You know, send them the text of the Bible or something so that they can use <laughs> lingua code to figure out what our main message is and also get evangelized. Um, you know, <laughs> um the um but i would try to find a you know a compromise in here somewhere was like okay because we don't have the weapon system functional yet let's minimize our risk let's back off somewhat but also try to accomplish some of these other goals as opposed to an either or fight or flight Just, right there's some middle grounds here exactly now, at this dinner, this awkward dinner that uh, – and I like this feature of the show where they occasionally have this dinner that features the three senior officers. Yeah, the Ar- captain's Ar- mess, captain's yes, table. That's right. Archer, uh, T'Pol, and, and Trip. And so uh, at this dinner, Archer is agitated. He's upset with his own decision to leave. Yeah, he is hating on himself right now. And he lashes out at T'Pol. And uh, Trip. And trip, but primarily to Paul, and and sort of this is one of those things where we have these racist comments that they make at each other. Like it's like to Paul makes racist comments about humans, and and Archer makes racist comments about Vulcans. That seems to be that's a, a feature of this series, at least in the beginning. And he lashes out at Vulcans. I don't, I don't know that I would classify all of this as racist. I mean, there are species differences, and so saying right. whether they're philosophical or biological or whatever they may be, it's fair to say, well, my people approach this situation this way, and your people tend to approach it this other way. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's just Archer says it in a bit hostile way. Oh, yeah, and, he's mad. And T'Pol shoots back in a more contemptuous way or arrogant way. So, uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's There are di- real differences, uh, but the way that they do it at least desired. Uh, she says that Vulcans would never have boarded the ship because they don't express curiosity again. This is that curiosity thing. And I'm like, that's such a bogus yeah, claim. Then how why did, did they land science? on Earth? Right, right. How do you do science? Why did you Why did you land on Earth to make first contact then? Well, that they have a reason for. Um, they Because they detected the first human warp signature. And so it's like, okay, these people are now playing on something like our level and could potentially be a threat we need to make contact with them um so that i can buy but the whole we don't have curiosity well then you would never have developed science or technology and why do you have a vulcan science institute (laughs) what are you doing there other than organized curiosity exactly exactly it's it is a bit silly then uh they so Archer changes his mind, says, we're going back. We're going to do what we can for these people. Uh, they, he sends Trip over to get the communication system working on the on the alien ship uh, and sends Hoshi to decode their language. And I'm thinking, OK, I get I, I, I will. We have one one hour or 45 minutes, whatever it is, to get this this plot, you know, completed. Mm-hmm. And so we can't have this extended period of time where they're having to figure out the technology and figure out the language. But the idea that you would decode the technology and the language in like 10 minutes, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I just, that's really hard for me to, to move past. 
Yeah, it it is. They and they could have done it better than they did. Um, like with Hoshi's stuff. Now, you know, space technology, I have no clue about, but yep. I do know something about language. And they do have Hoshi gesture at concepts that are, you know, real. And it's like, okay, I need to figure out this. I don't even know their basic conjugations. Okay, that's real stuff, right? Uh, that you really need to know to know to be able to speak certain languages. Um. And and so I like that bit of world building, but then they they fall down on other things. They should say they sh- so like Hoshi is talking into a into a link to their computer system and says the word ship a few times and it doesn't respond properly. And she says the word distress a few times on a few different occasions. And it's like okay, that's not. That's not that's not going to be the first word you figure out. It's not going <laughs> exactly. to be distress. Right. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, the number one or something like that. Right. Um, and and if you've already said it and the sh- and, and the computer didn't respond to it, there's no point in saying it again. It's not like jiggling a handle, you know, on something. Um, what they should have done that would have been a lot better is say, okay, now you've got it online. I've fed in the bootstrap mathematical information that's allowed us to understand their mathematical terminology, and now I'm building a vocabulary from there. Right. Like, you could, in fact, probably figure out some of their uh, their vocabulary based on, you know, the technology, the way the ship, the ship is organized. Like, that is obviously a, you know, we understand warp technology. Yeah. That is that. What do they call that? You know, yeah. what does their ship label it as? That sort of thing. Yeah, but you're going to start with with math and science. Okay, yes. here here are the numbers. Here's multiplication. Here's hydrogen. Here's oxygen. What do you call these things? Right. And from there, then you build out to okay. Now we've done the universals. What what can we do with those locally? Well, you've got a big hydrogen tank over there. I know what the word for hydrogen is. I can figure out the word for tank from right. that stuff like right. that. Yeah, it's it occurs to me that. These species that are out there are probably trading with each other. There has to be a lingua franca, a com, a trade language mm-hmm. that that would be the one that Hoshi should learn. <laughs> you know, a language of trade. That, yeah, that you would that try would, first. Yeah, and they and and they may gesture at something like that. I'm I don't know. Later yeah, well, on, they don't in this episode. And obviously yeah. in this episode, there's not a lot of time, given everything else that's going on, for them to go into the weeds on this. But they could say, I've established a preliminary link with their translation matrix, and I've got basic vocabulary and grammar coming across. Right. Now, that th- this all you know ends up with her having to manually do this all at the end. We'll get to that in a second. But Yeah. Uh, so the so, killers show back up, and they're over well, in a shuttle. Uh-huh. I, I do want to make a point before the kill. The kills in this scene. Hoshi says to Trip, "I'm going to ask the captain to take me home." Right. And, okay, they've been going at warp five for two weeks in one direction. So he's going to turn <laughs> the ship around and fly two weeks in the wrong direction to drop her off. I mean, come on, come on. Yeah, that's not happening. You're out here and you're stuck. I'm on a nuclear submarine with a five-year mission, and I'm two weeks out of dock, and and there's no way to come back without severe inconvenience to the mission. I think I'm stuck for a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, I mean, the, the the whole premise of her trying to decide whether to go back or not, it just falls apart, actually, just in the logic of the episode of the show. Yeah. All right. So the, 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 the bad guys, who we never actually see on screen, we I don't know, know anything about this them. Is- this this is frustrating about this episode. If we have a faceless villain, we know nothing about their motives other than they want this triglobulin stuff, and that's and they're apparently more powerful than than Enterprise is. Yes, and that's all we. And they have a sinister looking ship that looks like an evil version of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yes, it's very angular and all kinds of edgy stuff. Uh, so they have to fly back to Enterprise while this ship is is coming at them they have a certain amount of time for it to it, these ships can fly across the galaxy in a, in a in a moment and then it will take them in a half an hour to fly you know sixty thousand kilometers but yeah. whatever the num- numbers are all are, not, are never star trek's strong suit on this sort I, of thing i do like that they're having to get back over on the shuttle as yes. a space battle is happening and yeah. they're they're like having problems docking with enterprise in the middle of a space battle the, and we, sh- we get to see it, like, from the shuttle perspective under the saucer. 
yeah. as they're trying to retract up into the ship. And you, from inside the shuttle, you're seeing stuff happen outside the shuttle. And you've got the command, everyone from the command crew, except to Paul here, basically. Yeah. And and so she's having to run the show from the bridge. You know, and Archer the, is here helpless. The shuttle pod arm is unconscionably slow to retract, I have to say. It, it really is, yeah. <laughs> In fact, later on in the series, it will be a lot quicker to to pull them in into the ship. They they must fix it after this problem. Uh, yeah, and then it turns out that these hostile aliens are way too strong, and their technology is way too advanced for Enterprise. You know, their their torpedo bounces off its shield. Although later on, it doesn't because the targeting is better. I'm not sure why. Uh, something like that. So the the friends the the of the aliens who'd been killed show up. Mm-hmm. And they they can't speak to them, and so Hoshi has to abandon the machine translation that's going, which does not make any sense. Yeah, uh, the machine is going to be able to render this better than you, um, but for dramatic reasons, I mean, you just type in what you want it to say, and it's going to do a better job than you will. Right. Um, but uh, for dramatic reasons, Hoshi has to abandon machinery and use the force and talk directly to the alien. <laughs> I mean, this is clearly that it's for the dramatic purposes. We this is Hoshi's point at which she realizes she's capable of contributing and being a vital member of the crew, and mm-hmm. dec- you know has to decide to stay with him and that that whole thing. Uh, it turns out that it, we, it, we have the captain's log, which re- reveals everything for us. Yeah. Oh, before that, that though, the alien, even though they have trouble convincing the alien to side with them against the bad guys. Yeah. Eventually, Hoshi stumbles right. enough through the conversation that he gets on their side and suddenly everything is fixed. Right. He blasts and, the other the he, hostile he, aliens. He blasts the hostile aliens and then that takes the pressure off Enterprise. And so Enterprise is able to, even though the other ship is already disabled, um, it launches a torpedo at it. Uh, and is now successful just to give the humans something to do <laughs> yes. and and show that they're not just wimps in this fight, even though they are. And then the alien ship blasts the bad guys again, and they totally explode all over the place. So it was really yeah. all the aliens doing <laughs> not Enterprise at all, but we had to let them get in one little lick in this fight so that right. they didn't come off as total wimps. Yeah, the 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 big the big guardian shows up, and we kick the bad guy in the shin. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's interesting. Like, well, why did these aliens? Uh, we'll find out they're called Axonar, and we'll talk about that na- that name in a second. Yep. Why did the Axonar assume that the Enterprise were the bad guys in this? Like, well, I, it it, that, that, ha- uh, um, that happens in Hoshi's broken dialogue with it. Uh, with okay. the Axnar guy. Um, she says, well, I've started talking to him about this, and now he thinks it's us. Oh, so okay. so it could be she expressed something in a way that was confusing to him, and he leapt to the wrong conclusion. Okay, so she just basically fixed her mis- fixes her mistake. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, so, like I said, they turn out to be uh, called the Axnar, and that's an important name in Star Trek because mm-hmm. Axnar uh, is the site of an important battle with the Klingons that the, later on in in yep. Federation history, Gar- won by Garth of Izar. Garth of Izar, and that's and his exploits become required reading the Academy, and you find out more about that in the original series episodes, Court Martial and Whom Gods Destroy. Mm-hmm. Also, here we learn that Axnar have no gender and live for four hundred years. Oh, and they also have green blood and triglobulin fluid. Right. So we've we've learned something about the the Axanar. Uh and then we end with this little scene of Hoshi um contaminating a planet with an alien intrusive species yeah. by letting her dying <laughs> yeah. slug go. Uh like, What about the biological like- ecological prime directive? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Or uh, actually, uh, uh, my preferred imaginary ending is, is as they they walk back to the shuttle, uh, some giant alien bird swoops down and, and yeah. eats the slug. <laughs> I know it's like you have no, you have absolutely no guarantee this thing is going to survive. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm putting you back in your in your environment to, to live. And I'm like, actually, as an analogy for Hoshi, I don't think this is actually a very yeah. good analogy. <laughs> so, well, it's 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 kind of on the level of Chakotay having a salamander as his spirit animals like Hoshi <laughs> has a slug as her avatar. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so 
uh, any other notes on this uh, episode uh, as we as we no, wrap it up? No, it was it was, like I said, it, it, I was frustrated by a lot of the qualities in the writing. It had some fun moments, you know. Yep. I did like like the scene with Flocks and Trip. That was fun. Um, it I, it it's mildly my it really what I had here was disappointment. It was right. just this could have been a lot better than it was, and it just came across as very ham-fisted, very paint-by-numbers. They could have done it with a lot more subtlety, and it would have made it a lot more interesting. On the other hand, it's not actively painful in the way that some early first season next-gen is, but it's also not as ambitious. It's it's much right. blander. They were totally going for the, the, you know, the Star Trek is about moral quandaries, and this is the moral quandary episode that we're doing now. So, they were, yeah, they were clearly going for that, like, uh, this is what Star Trek is about, uh, sort of feeling. So, uh, yeah, I agree. It, it's not the worst. It's not the best. It's sort of meh. Uh, yeah. So. So let's get to our feedback from our friends and listeners. Uh, we have uh, the feedback came in on a few weeks ago. So this is going back a few weeks from when you're hearing this uh, to our episode where we discussed the season finale of Such Sweet Sorrow, the Star Trek Discovery called Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. Now, because of that, and I know that some of you have not watched Star Trek Discovery or, and are planning to at some point, uh, and if you are, Remember, you could actually subscribe to CBS All Access for $7 a month, spend a month watching the episodes of this season uh, of Star Trek Discovery, and then cancel and only have spent $7. Yeah, so, so th- someone pointed that out in email to us, in fact. Right, right. So what I'm going to suggest is if you do not want to be spoiled for a season, the finale of season two of Star Trek Discovery, is to skip ahead uh, a few minutes or to, uh, to, to avoid that. So I just don't want you to be spoiled. I, I, I don't like spoils myself. So that said, we have a, a Facebook message from one of our listeners, uh, Jonathan, who writes, uh, before I listen to our, our discussion of Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2, is this going to enhance my enjoyment of the episode? Some people may enjoy the nitpicking of every single plot hole and pointing at all the technical and writing ineptitude, but I don't. There's been a lot of that on the podcast during the season. Um, I understand it's a choice you make as creators, but it doesn't appeal to me. Um, I don't want this to intend to come to come off sounding negative. I just really want to know if I'm going to enjoy listening to this. Some of them I have this season, some they haven't because they have been so negative about a show I'm really enjoying. So, Jimmy, I thought we'd talk about, you know, yeah, well, to answer his specific question, now obviously there's no way we could know exactly how what he, what he would think of our review of the final episode of this season. Right. But on balance, I think we were positive about it. I mean, we didn't totally hate on it. I'm sure we. I know we pointed out some things that we thought could have been done better, but we right. didn't. I, we didn't hate the episode itself. On the larger scale of things, like what, what we do mm-hmm. with this show is we want to talk about the things we liked, the things we didn't like, the things that we think are interesting, the things that point to bigger themes. But there are some podcasts that are all, you know, happy, clappy. This is the best ever, every episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there aren't many of those. Let's, let's be honest. There aren't many of those that are like that. The And the ones that are like that are usually sucking up to the show's creators to try to get them on. <laughs> right, or right. In, have some kind of relationship with them. Exactly. Uh, then there are a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of shows uh, with YouTube channels or podcasts that are, especially nowadays with Star Trek, very negative nearly all the time on in, on Discovery and other stuff that are, that's new. And in fact, this is we've talked about this as something infecting fandom in general, of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, where there's Fandoms a lot more negativity. Tend to be very polarized these days. Right. I feel like. And and only the listeners can tell us whether we're succeeding in this. I feel like we're we're trying we're we're pretty balanced. We're trying to be balanced. Yeah. We talk about the things we like. We talk about the things we don't like. Some episodes are worse than others. There are some episodes where they do a worse job of writing, like this one where we talked about the fight or flight. They do a worse job of writing it than than other episodes, which there are episodes of Enterprise, which are really quite good and I really enjoy. And the same thing with Discovery. In fact, I think as a series, Enterprise gets a bad rap. If you go back and rewatch the individual episodes, it's not as bad as people say. There's a lot more that's good there. Exactly. Yes, I agree. And, And so... I'm not sure what to tell you, Jonathan. Um, I hope you you keep listening. You know, we're we're not trying to just run yeah. it down. 
No. In fact, we wouldn't do these podcasts for either Doctor Who or Star Trek if we weren't net positive on them. It's because we're fans of the shows that we're doing them. Um, And, (laughs) you know, we may not like every episode. We may not like every series as much. We may not like every showrunner as much. But we're basically fans of the series and uh, and are looking at it critically. And in terms of critically in the good sense of sorting the good from the bad and I mean, personally, that's what I have to offer. I think like a writer, um, and we have differences on the show. I think in terms of plot and character, I and I, I very much care less about like starship design. But I know Dom, I love it, it has has that <laughs> that appeals to him in a big way, and yeah. and so um, he's able to speak to that subject in a way that I'm not. Um, yeah. So, but we're what we are trying to do is is take a fair appraisal of these things and the insights i have are mostly about plot so if you you know if you may you know fault me if you think i'm picking out too many plot holes but that's the contribution i have it, i think it, a plot mechanics are what stimulate my brain and in fact i've had friends who were writing novels and they'll call me up to solve plot problems for them. Um, right. So that's just kind of the way my mind works. But I also try to balance when I do point out, here's a plot hole that this wouldn't work this way in the real world. I'll also try to point out, well, here's why the writers are doing it, because it communicates this to the audience. Um, and so mm-hmm. there is a function, even though it's actually not believable, there is a reason. Like pointing out, you would never abandon the machine translation to go to spoken <laughs> in this situation. Right. But there's a reason they do that for the audience, because it shows Hoshi more visibly rising to the challenge. Right. And 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 then I also try to balance it by pointing out things I like, like the fun scene in the mess hall with Trip and Phlox. Yeah, I mean, Frank, uh, honestly, I mean, your feedback is a good example of that, because it's not just pointing out the negative, but it also points out the positive of our show. And we, I want to hear from Ooh, listeners. Oh, Dom is getting meta. Uh, that's a little bit made yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd love to hear from listeners. And, and in fact, thank you, Jonathan, for, for bringing this up because it helps us examine ourselves and see what, what, how we're doing with our goal for talking about these shows. And we would, we love to get critical feedback, critical again, in that sense of, uh, the, the positive and negative, you know, to, to what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, things you'd like to see. So write to us, let us know, or, or send us an audio recording. We'd love to hear your voice uh, of, you know, well, what do you think? How how are we doing with the show? How are we doing with our discussions? If if you think there may be things we could do better, I'm not going to guarantee we can change to suit every possibility, but we certainly want to take those into account. So please, yeah. let's hear from you. So we have a, a little more feedback from, uh, uh, this one is from Bennett, our friend Bennett. He says, this is the only place worth commenting and expecting to get a polite hearing. <laughs> thank, thank you, Ben, about Star Trek Discovery, I think. Uh, wow. And this is a little bit of counterpoint. <laughs> I don't think it's the only place, but thank you, Bennett. Uh, he says, I enjoyed Discovery. I liked season one much more when I learned the twist, which explained how the crew was so different from other Trek crews as the influence of their leader. I rewatched it and enjoyed it much more. Season two, I enjoyed so much as I went along. I agree with so much of all your comments on the failings. Most episodes had complexity. With new leadership in the chair, it felt more Trek. But I came away perplexed because I feel like the story arc could have been completed in a two-parter if they wanted to. So I have a conflicting relationship with season two. I do look forward to season three and being free of the shackles they found themselves with. Thank you as always, says Bennett. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think season two, um, it certainly, they were striving to connect up more. With, exi- with existing Star Trek in terms of canon and feel. Um, and that's, again, like we talked about in this episode of Enterprise, it, it, you as, as part of a longer series arc, you don't want to start where you end up. And sometimes, you know, people blame you for that because it's not familiar to them. It feels different. And Discovery has suffered from that also as a, as a prequel. Because uh, we know where the Star Trek franchise goes story-wise, and Discovery is not at the end of that journey. Um, the uh, In terms of season two, I thought it was really more successful on the character level and the dialogue level. Um, the special effects were great, but that's not why I'm here. Um, in terms of character arcs and dialogue, you know, I think they broadly succeeded there. I think on the plot level, it had some interesting stuff. It broke some new ground for Star Trek plot wise, but also it had some pretty big plot holes. 
Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I mean, you're right in some sense that this could have been a a, the the whole thing with control and Leland and uh, all that that could have been a long two parter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) really. And and we we could have had more standalone episodes that just mission of the week sort of thing like we traditionally hear we are used to and i would have i would have welcomed that i would have liked that uh would have been a nice break but uh so i agree and and i don't really have much more to add than that so i think you both have really covered that really well so we have a, a final email from uh john scrivo who says happy easter dom jimmy and father cory happy easter Thank john you. uh i just got cut up on watching the finale in your excellent al- analysis i had lots of thoughts and questions so feel free to pick and choose well i'll read them off here as we go for fans who haven't watched he mentions the subscribe now and Watch it for $7 the whole season. That's a good point. Uh, it says, besides the sheer number, has Star Trek ever used shuttles in battle? It seems very Star Wars-esque. I think in DS9's Dominion War stuff, there were battles that had a lot of small ships. Certainly runabouts got used in Deep Space yeah. Nine. And I don't I, I don't recall if in the original series we ever had no. shuttles in battle. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I would I would remember that. Uh, he said, uh, also, and I read in this in some reviews, why do they still need to travel to the future once Leland and Control... Okay, remember, spoilers. <laughs> once Leland and Control are defeated, were they too close to the wormhole at that point to get back? Because uh, Leland was dead. Yeah, I think the rationale there is we're going to the future to prevent this from ever happening again, which seems kind of weak to me. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit weak. Uh, it says Cornwall's death was really pointless. Besides the flaws you guys mentioned, what about using the Wally repair bots to flip the lever and shut the door? Yeah, good point. That is a good point. <laughs> Poor Wally. Uh, he's, and then he says, uh, it seems Pike is much more cynical of Starfleet than we thought. The Boy Scout lied to his superiors. He did on a number of occasions, uh, but he always, I mean, he didn't leap to that the way James T. Kirk did. He yes. He always, like, said, is there a compelling reason that forces me to go this way? And in the end, you know, that final episode, that season finale, you know, he was lying about Discovery being destroyed. I think because of that, there was a very good reason to do so. Yeah, except I don't agree, but yeah. Right. He he thought there was. And then speaking of which, why does Starfleet seem so sketchy in this series? I think Starfleet has been sketchy in the past. And certainly in DS9, it was. Mm-hmm. Some sometimes the admiral and even in TNG there were admirals. I mean, you, there was the that episode. Uh, there was the Pegasus. Ep- there was the Pegasus thing. There was the conspiracy storyline. Right. Um, all of those had shady stuff going on in Starfleet. Yeah, Starfleet is like a you know any human organization. There are people who are you know who are in the, doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing for the wrong reasons or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then says the ending of the episode made me made me really wish we had an entire series for Pike's Enterprise. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> lots of people have been saying that. And you know, if we if we if we hope enough, maybe they'll uh, the the powers that be have indicated that it's not impossible. So let's let's we can hope. So thank you very much for your feedback, everyone. That's very much appreciated. Uh, so let's uh, before we close out here, I do want to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including James K, Alfredo B, Ed B. Mary V and Miguel G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of this Enterprise episode, Fight or Flight? Or as I mentioned before, what do you think of how we're doing with Secrets of Star Trek? It's an open-ended invitation for your feedback. So go to sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page Leave us some feedback there on the episode or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, I'm so excited because perhaps my favorite Star Trek movie and I get to watch it again. So (laughs) really excited. Yay. Until Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, insist on letting your curiosity dictate your actions.